Thanks for tuning in. Ham Talk Live will be on the air shortly. Please stand by. Thanks for tuning in. Ham Talk Live will be on the air shortly. Please stand by. This episode of Ham Talk Live is brought to you by Tower Electronics. For connectors, cables, and more, visit them at a ham fest near you or call 920-435-2973 or online at pl-259.com. It's Ham Radio. Good evening, everyone. It's time for Ham Talk Live, episode number 108. AMSAT Satellite Operations, recorded live on Thursday, March 29th, 2018. I'm your host, Neil Rapp, WB9VPG. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Ham Talk Live. Tonight, we're joined by Drew Glassbrenner, KO4MA the AMSAT Vice President in Charge of Operations. And we will take your calls live in just a few minutes. Last week, Rob Brownstein, K6RB, was here to talk about CW Ops. And if you missed that show or any other show, you can listen anytime at hamtalklive.com or you can catch our podcast version. And you can find that on just about any podcast app. Uh, we're on iHeart Podcasts and uh, also on TuneIn and uh, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, most of those. We're also over on YouTube if you want to play it there. Um, so you can find us very easily. So get your satellite operations questions ready. And after we talk to Drew for a little bit, uh, we'll give you a chance to call and chime in. Um, let me go ahead and give you the telephone number. It's 812-638-4261. That spells out 812-NET-HAM-1 uh, to make it a little easier for you to remember, hopefully. Uh, you can also call us on Skype. We're at Ham Talk Live on Skype, and we're also at Ham Talk Live on Twitter. So if you can uh, tweet us, that works too. So uh, we'd love to hear from you tonight and answer some of your questions. But uh, first, we will talk to Drew and, and get a little bit of uh, background, and then we'll uh, open it up. So I'll be back with Drew right after this word from Tower Electronics right here on Ham Talk Live. This episode of Ham Talk Live is brought to you in part by Tower Electronics. Tower Electronics has been the Ham's Dime Store since 1978. When you need connectors, mobile and handheld antennas, cables, or adapters, visit Scott or Jill at a HamFest near you. Or you can order online at pl-259.com or call 920-435-2973. 
Stock up on those supplies like PL259 and end connectors, SMA adapters, audio cables, soldering supplies, mobile antennas, and hamsticks. Their silver-plated end connectors are even used on the International Space Station. Tower Electronics carries MFJ, Comet, Daiwa, OPEC, Workman, and HamPro products. And don't miss their 0% off sale going on now. Tower Electronics, online at pl-259.com. Proud to sponsor this episode of Ham Talk Live. Sorry for the delay. Your host, Neil Rapp, is reading a book on anti-gravity, and he just can't put it down. Now, here's more Ham Talk Live. Thanks again to Scott and Jill at Tower Electronics for sponsoring the show. Coming up in the HamFest schedule, April 6th and 7th, they'll be in Belton, Texas. On April 7th, Staunton, Wisconsin. April 14th, Mobile, Alabama. April 21st, Gainesville, Florida. April 28th, Calhoun, Georgia. And of course, in May, they'll be at the Dayton Hamvention. But you don't have to wait for a ham fest. You can give them a call. The number, 920-435-2973. Or visit them online at pl-259.com. Tell them you heard it on Ham Talk Live. Our guest tonight, Drew Glassbrenner, KO4MA, is the Vice President for Operations and a board member of AMSAT, the United States Amateur Radio Satellite Corporation. Drew is a geologist in the greater Tampa, Florida area who is now uh, working for his uh, own company, Karst Evaluations, where he studies karst formations and investigates sinkholes. And uh, Drew works a lot of FT8 in addition to all of the satellites. And uh, Drew, welcome to the show. Thanks, Neil. Uh, appreciate you having me on this evening. And one thing that I left out of the bio in, in our conversation uh, before the show, your, your next satellite, uh, your portable satellite operation is going to be from the, the top of the Skyway Bridge. Is that correct? <laughs> Not me. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't know, the Skyway Bridge is this is this humongous bridge through part of the bay in, in Tampa and uh, um, it, it's a little little scary it's pretty tall and right over the bay and no no land in sight for a little while and it, it's that's in about as close days, as I get to a roller coaster in, in my younger days I used to try to operate simplex driving over it uh, now it's uh, eyes forward and 10 and 2 on the steering wheel <laughs> well we've had um some shows about satellites here recently and and i've been trying to to work some satellites recently and both myself uh by myself and with the uh, kids at the school where i where i teach and uh just really getting started and and we had sean uh kx9x on the show to kind of talk about how to get started um and then we had uh, jerry uh, Jerry Buxton in zero JY to talk about all the engineering and, and building everything. And he said, you, you got to have drew on and, and continue and pick up where he left off. 
uh, about how the satellites are used and maintained and, and all the operation stuff. So uh, tell us what you do and, and your team and how you keep these satellites up and running for all of us to play with. Sure. Well, um, first thing, uh, we've got a lot more satellites uh, to take care of these days. Uh, right now, uh, the operations team is responsible for uh, Oscar 7, uh, Falcon Sat 3, which is an Air Force Academy satellite that uh, they let us use, and then the three Fox satellites, uh, AO85, 91, and 92. So each of those are different and require uh, 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 different things to be done uh, to keep them going. Uh, in the case of AO7, we, we uh, keep commandability available, but uh, uh, we basically let it operate on its own since it just runs off the solar panels now. Uh, AO7 was launched in 1974. It's uh, one month younger than I am, so uh, it's amazing that it's, it's still operating at all. So we, we kind of have a hands-off approach there. We keep an eye on the way the orbit changes and, and when it might be having problems and try to get word out to people to keep the power low, and, and especially when it's in the period of time when the solar illumination isn't real good and uh, to keep it from resetting when, when people use too much power. Uh, Falcon Sat 3 is a uh, uh, store and forward packet satellite 9600 baud BBS in the sky. And uh, it uh, uh, occasionally will crash. It's only done it once with us so far. Uh, so then we have to, some of the software is reloaded from onboard the satellite automatically. But then there's all the updated software in, in the several years that it's been in orbit that has been updated. And then we have to reload that. So uh, that takes a couple of days to to get uh, to get all that loaded and checked out and working, and hopefully it works when we flip the big switch the first time on it. Uh, if not, we start back over from the beginning and, and do it again. Uh, and then there's some file maintenance on board there, uh, where if uh, a file gets corrupted or is too big or something, we can go in and take care of that. Uh, so that's and we also always have to watch the power budgets. Uh, the orbit, the amount of time the satellite is, is illuminated uh, per orbit changes. Uh, and sometimes uh, it gets a little close. And, you know, we may in the future have to shut it off for a little while to, uh, uh, to keep the batteries in good shape. So then the, the three Fox satellites, AO85, 91, and 92, uh, each are a little different. And uh, the nice thing is, is that Jerry and his team did a really nice job. Those satellites are very self-sufficient, I guess would be the word, uh, autonomous. They, they, they don't need a whole lot of intervention. Uh, AO85, we basically don't have to do anything with it. It just runs and runs. Uh, we don't have any, uh, anything that needs to be commanded, any experiments, they all run. The experiment runs all the time on that one, so it doesn't really need much intervention. We just check up on it, make sure it's it's still working. It's much the same way. Um, the experiment doesn't require us to go into high-speed data mode or anything like that. 
So we just uh, keep an eye on it, keep an eye on the eclipse links, uh, watch reports, uh, keep an eye on the battery voltages via telemetry. Uh, we have to go into the database and we have a, a great volunteer, uh, WA4SCA. Alan takes care of all that. Anytime the satellite has a radiation upset, any of the three Fox satellites, uh, we have to go into our database that collects all of our telemetry and collates it in one place and set that time that it happened. There's an internal clock on all the satellites, and when the satellite resets, it goes back to zero, and we just have to go in and say, okay, zero is this time and date, so we can keep track of all of that. AO92, the newest of the Fox satellites, has uh, a fair amount of um, intervention and mode changes that have to uh, that require somebody to, to do something. Uh, we've got the option on AO92 to switch from the UHF uplink to a 1.2 gigahertz uplink. Uh, that has to be done manually, and we have to schedule. I have to look ahead. As a matter of fact, earlier before the show, I made a note that I need to do that tomorrow. Uh, we have to look at passes and say, okay, at this pass, uh, this command station is going to switch to send the command to switch the satellite from uh, 435 uplink to a 1.2 gig uplink. And then that runs for 24 hours and and then switches back uh, to the, the UHF uplink on its own. Uh, another interesting thing with AO92, have a camera on board. It's an experiment that was provided by uh, Bob McGuire's team at Virginia Tech. And it's uh, just a, a small, low-resolution camera. And we can take pictures in the northern hemisphere as long as it passes by one of our ground stations. And then those are transmitted down uh, in a high-speed data stream. And anyone that's running Fox to Lem can switch that to copying high speed or leave it on auto where it copies the, the picture data. And that data is sent over the internet to the central server. And then uh, those pictures are assembled. You can get, you have a good station, you can see pictures on your own Fox Telem screen. Uh, but uh, if I miss, miss a frame and somebody in uh, Indiana picks that frame up, well, uh, it stitches it all together, so you get pictures uh, on the on the server. So that has to be scheduled and turned on, and uh, uh, we put notices out uh, on Twitter and uh, on the AMSAT webpage. There's a satellite schedules page. We also publish it in the AMSAT news service uh, as long as I make the deadline on Saturday. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, and we try to put it out on the AMSAT bulletin board too. So we've got four or five different places where where those uh, mode switches or or scheduled uh, mode switches show up. Yeah, and that was one of the things that I wanted to ask you about. Was now that you've got this on AO ninety two, where you can switch uh, for it's L band one point two gigahertz or, or the. Um, uh, V uh, band on 430. Um, that that's kind of a new thing, and you, uh, you you post that some places, but 
you know, uh, the other day I, I was listening and, and I heard, you know, oh, well, you know, the reason you can't get in is because it's on 1.2 gigahertz. Uh, what's your advice for people to, to know um, which band it's on? Is there no, There's not an indicator over the air, so you need to check that uh on the AMSAT website and, and, and uh, Twitter and that kind of thing? Or what do you suggest? Well, a lot of times you'll hear the, the operators will say, you know, that they're on L-band. If it's uh, Sunday afternoon and it's not very busy, that's a good indicator it's in L-band. Uh, there's not <laughs> as many users on that band. Uh, lately, uh, actually, since we a week or two after we started running the L-mode, uh I've been trying to contain it to Sundays. Now, sometimes we, you know, uh, us command stations have lives too. So, um, um, we, uh, sometimes we switch it at two UTC Saturday night local. And sometimes it's, um, uh, not doesn't happen until the following morning on Sunday morning, just depending on command station availability. Uh, but usually it's on Sunday. And again, we put it out. Uh, if you follow AMSAT at AMSAT on Twitter, we put it there. There is a schedule page on the AMSAT webpage that uh, I try to update that, or I update that every weekend before uh, before we make any changes for the following week. It's usually an ANS. Uh, it's uh, AMSAT news service. Uh, which comes out every weekend. It's published to the EMSAT BB email list. And if you're running Fox to LEM, uh, it'll actually, you can look on the telemetry program and it'll tell you that it's in the L, L band uplink mode. So lots of different places to look. Oh, and uh, one other place, we have a status page uh, where users can go in and say, hey, I heard this satellite and it was in this mode. Uh, so you can go to that. It's, uh, uh, if you go to amsat.org, it's, uh, satellite, uh, status and it'll take you to that. You can check that and it'll tell you. Uh, so lots of different places to find out, but it's generally on a Sunday. Okay. Very good. Uh, any, any reason for the, the switches other than to just try a different band and, and get, you know, and see how it does with that or is, or is there more to it? Well, there's no requirement to switch it. Um, the L-band uplink was um, something that we came up with as a means to promote activity on some of these higher bands. Um, you know, 1.2 gigahertz doesn't get a whole lot of use, and there's a lot of encroachment onto that band by other services. We're secondary or tertiary there. Uh, some European operators have already lost the band due to it being shared with their version of GPS. So, uh, it's kind of a use it or lose it thing. Uh, and one day, one day a week, uh, you know, you can, you can get on L band and do something a little different. Um, the requirements for the uplink are a lot lower than we expected them to be. Uh, the L band uplink uses the, um, uh, same antenna as the UHF uplink, so it's it's not a uh, not an ideal antenna, but it seems to work really well, and the, the the receiver is very sensitive, 
and there's some AFC action on there, so you don't have to be exactly on frequency. And we've had guys get in with one watt HTs and whip antennas. Now, that's kind of a, a rarity, uh, but there's a lot of operators that are using short Yaggies, 5, 10, 12 element Yaggies with one watt HTs and, and making the upload. So it's a, a good way to experiment and keep some of our higher bands active. And uh, if you've got uh, something for 1.2 gigahertz uh, uh, available, it's, uh, it's a lot easier to get in on those days, too. Okay. Very good. Well, last thing here uh, before we take a break. Um, what are some of your biggest challenges in, in keeping all these things usable? I would say that um, our challenges... Um, are not so much keeping them usable. It's working, wor- getting word out and working around schedules, individual schedules. Um, it, it's difficult sometimes to be to be there when you need to make a, a mode change or something like that. Um, I'm looking forward to some of the future satellites uh, um, being. Uh, capable of doing some some pre-scheduled mode changes if, if we need to. Uh, we had that back with AO51 towards the end of its life where I could upla- upload a uh, scheduled mode change and tell it what time to execute. And that was real nice. But, uh, you know, we're, we're lear- learning how to do things in, in smaller packages and with less with the CubeSats. And I think uh, engineering and uh, uh, my operations team both have, have really learned a lot and uh, uh, the next round of satellites with Wolf are going to be even better. All right. Very good. Well, um, we look forward to that and, and we can talk a little bit about um, what uh, is coming up in the future here uh, after the break. And um, uh, I, I kind of sprung this on, on Drew today that he didn't realize that he was on the, on the show right before April Fool's Day. And so he gets the, uh, the honor and privilege of, of being on when, uh, when our new sponsor appears. And, and so um, we have a new sponsor tonight, and um, we usually do right before April Fool's Day. So uh, we'll hear from them, and uh, we'll be back with Drew, and we'll take your calls and your questions. We've already got some uh, tweets going, so we'll uh, – Get those in and talk a little bit more about uh, AMSAT and satellites right after this word from QRM Labs right here on Ham Talk Live. Hello, Willie Mays from QRM Labs, back again to help you make your ham radio experience better. Are you tired of all the work of having to find sounds to use to create QRM? You hear that annoying guy on 80 meters, and you feel this uncontrollable urge to illegally jam his signal, but you don't have the right sounds to use? Well, QRM Labs has the perfect app for you. It's the Jammer Generator. Jammer Generator is an app for both iPhone and Android that has all you need to illegally transmit over the top of anyone. Just hold the phone up to the mic and tap the sound you want. There's the famous number station generator. Five, three, five, five, three. Zero, 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 
some music like one of Michael Jackson's songs. The Russian Woodpecker. Just acting stupid. Pay your friggin' fine, Brian. Pay your fine, you psychopath. I'm just fine, doing what I love to do. I ain't paying no fine. I take a poo on you. Tuning the rig with your mic. Or the classic tune-up tone. It's so good, you'll get your license taken away and fined both sooner and more often. But wait, wait there's there more. more! Order now, and we'll add a quick tune button that will tune any radio within one square mile immediately to 7200 kilohertz. The Jammer Generator, available for just $49.99 from the App Store. And for technical support, call 985-655-2500. That's 985-655-2500. And don't forget to speak as loudly as you can. QRM Labs looks forward to hearing your complaints. But we probably won't hear a thing because there's too much noise on the line. The Jammer Generator. Download your copy today. Oh, yeah. You're talking ham radio, baby. You're listening to Ham Talk Live with Neil Rapp. Join the conversation. Call us on voice with Skype at Ham Talk Live or give us a call at 812-NET-HAM-1. That's 812-638-4261. Now, here's more Ham Talk Live. Talk Live is on the air every Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Time right here at HamTalkLive.com. And be sure to check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We post some stuff there, links to the show, and uh, some notes after the show, and and a few fun things in between. So check us out there. Uh, Just look for Ham Talk Live. Well, now it's time for your questions and comments. It's uh, time to take some calls. If you have a question for Drew, give us a call. The phone number is 812-NET-HAM-1. That's 812-638-4261. Or you can Skype us at Ham Talk Live or tweet us at Ham Talk Live. And we do already have uh, one tweet here. Uh, from Bob McGuire, N4HY, said that uh, A07 was launched two years after he graduated from high school. And uh, we love the camera on Fox. And, and, and Drew, I, I, I remember it's still etched in my mind, the front page of Q Street with the picture of A07 before it was launched. I was eight years old <laughs> and, it, and it just amazes me that this thing is back yeah it's it's really uh quite an amazing story and it, it just it just falls into 
you know, there's only a few AMSAT spacecraft that could do what it did because of the way it was designed. There's there's no no uh, computer, no CPU, no uh, IHU in A07. It's all logic, you know, straight wired logic. And uh, any any other satellite, most other satellites past that once once AMSAT started putting uh, computers in to control things, uh, wouldn't uh, you wouldn't even have that opportunity. Uh, there's a few a few that have been revived a little bit uh, long after the fact, but uh, that uh, that's amazing. So I guess I, I, I should tell the story real quick. Um, in the early 80s, the batteries on AO7 failed, and like most NICADs, when they failed, they failed as a short. Uh, so the satellite quit up, quit working um, uh, because all of the the power that was generated by the the solar arrays were was shunted right to the batteries and to a dead short. So in um, early 2003, I think it was. Forgive me if I'm a year or two off here. Um, and I think it was G3 IOR uh, posted that he had heard a CWID and something that repeated high, high, which was AO7. Um, so we figured out that it uh, evidently one of the batteries had opened up and now it was running off solar panels because the short wasn't there. And it is really funny because the downlink for the beacon on AO7 uh, was the same as the um, uplink for another satellite uh, called UO14 that had an FM repeater on it. And we had been hearing CW interference uh, intermittently through UO14 uh, for months and hadn't figured it out because it's, you know, CW to FM was hard to copy through users and things like that. So really quite amazing. Uh, that after all that time, uh, she still responds to commands. Uh, we tend to take a hands-off approach with it. Uh, it uh, when it's continuously illuminated, when, when there's no eclipses in the orbit, uh, the 24-hour timer works, and it switches from mode A to mode B every 24 hours. Uh, when it's in... When there's an eclipse, it basically resets when it goes into eclipse, so it tends to come up in the mode B. Now, sometimes, uh, either due to poor illumination when the sun's shining on the end of the satellite where there's no solar arrays, uh, or because a user uh, puts too much power up to it, uh, generally that happens on, on CW because of the, the 100% duty cycle nature of CW, uh, the satellite will reset, and when it resets, uh, it usually goes uh, to mode A or to a, a beacon-only mode. So um, if, if you're active on AO7 or you want to try AO7, uh, 5 watts is more than enough and to just about any any sort of gain antenna. So um, uh, please be careful with her. She's She's old, and we'd like to keep her around for a little bit longer. All right, very good. Well, if you have a question or a comment, give us a call, 812-638-4261, 812-NET-HAM-1, or uh, we're at Ham Talk Live on Skype and Twitter. So uh, give us a, a shout, and, and we'll get those questions answered, hopefully. And, uh, and again, if you have comments, too, that's, that's just fine. We'd love to hear from you. 
Um, we were talking a little bit about AO85 and in, in perusing Twitter and, and trying to, to learn about some of this stuff. I, I've seen some people commenting that AO85 has some, some problems going on right now. And, and so can you tell us what's going on with, with that on AO85? Sure. Um, there, there's two different issues with AO85. Uh, one of them has been there since launch. Uh, the antenna, uh, receive antenna for AO85 uh, was damaged at the last minute, and the repair uh, had to take place or we weren't going to make the launch. So the repair uh, was not perfect and detuned the antenna, and as a result of that, AO85 is a little hard of hearing. Uh, it, it takes a pretty good signal to get into it. Uh, that being said, uh, there's no reason with some skill that you can't use five watts in an arrow on AO85, uh, especially on higher passes. Um, those lots of people doing that. Uh, it just takes a, a little finesse with uh, polarity and uh, a little experience. So that that's the issue that's been there since launch. There's another. Uh, it's not really an issue. It's doing what what it's designed to do. Uh, AO85 is going into safe mode at the end of eclipses uh, here in the last month or so. Uh, the orbit on AO85 changes. The orbit doesn't change, but the, the illumination period of the orbit uh, changes uh, quite rapidly. Uh, and sometimes, you know, some months uh, it's in sun for most of the orbit. And that's great because we make a lot of power. And uh, we can uh, uh, run the repeat. You know, the repeater runs constantly, and, and everything's good. Uh, it gets a little warm, and it spins up quite a bit, but uh, uh, that, that's all good. We can deal with that. We're just coming out of a period where the eclipses were rather long. I think they were 33 or 35 minutes. And AO85 has a protection uh, system built into it that when the battery gets down to a certain level, uh, it will shut the trans the repeater off and uh, go into an auto-safe mode uh, where it just makes an announcement every two minutes. When it comes out of Eclipse and the battery voltage comes back up, it puts itself back into, uh, into the normal mode where the repeater is functional, and we just uh, move on down the road. Uh, that... Uh, that's important because we, we're still using NICAD batteries. Uh, the NICADs will last a lot longer uh, than some of the other types of, of um, uh, batteries that you can use in spacecraft. Uh, but we have to keep them uh, from over-discharging so they don't fail short like, uh, like AO7 did back in the 80s. Uh, so... When it gets to be a problem where where it's not usable at any point or at, at some point greater than now, uh, we can shut that protection off. Uh, but uh, there's no reason uh, no reason to worry about it right now. If, if you're working it early in the morning or late at night and it's just coming out of eclipse or about to come out of eclipse, and you hear it say in safe mode. Wait till it hits till the, the footprint hits where uh, the sun's shining on the earth, and um, it'll be back up right away. 
All right, good information there. And if you have a question, give us a call, 812-638-4261, 812-NET-HAM-1, or Skype us or tweet us. We're at Ham Talk Live. Let me flip over here and make sure we didn't miss anybody. Um, so let's talk a little bit about... Um, What's coming ahead, uh, Jerry told us a little bit about it uh, when he was on the show that, uh, that we're looking at maybe some geosynchronous uh, satellites coming up. So what can you tell us about that? Well, that's, that's in the works. Um, we've got uh, an agreement with Virginia Tech uh, that um, they've proposed a geosynchronous payload on a, a satellite. Uh, not the entire satellite. We would, they would just have a small payload on it. Uh, and if that, uh, if that works out, uh, AMSAT will take care of the ground end of things, uh, as well as the operations. Um, that project has hit some snags. Uh, we're unsure of when, if, and when the primary payload will go, uh, the, the, the main satellite. So, uh, it's kind of on a back burner, and at the same time, uh, we're we're investigating other opportunities to fly some sort of high orbit payload. Um, you know, we're we're always we've got multiple irons in the fire. Uh, we had a uh, uh, an entry into a contest that NASA was holding uh, for a large CubeSat to go to the moon on the launch of the uh, SLS. Um, that didn't work out, but we're taking a lot of the technology from that and applying it to golf. Uh, golf is our next project that we'll be working on. And that'll start off with golf tee, uh, which will be a kind of a test bed for a lot of these different technologies, uh, including uh, five, five gigahertz uplink, 10 gigahertz downlink, which we're calling five and dime. Uh, it'll also have a VU two meter up, 70 centimeter down transponder on it. And we're looking at doing lots of other things that we need to fly to higher orbits like uh, attitude control, uh, deployable solar panels uh, to, uh, to generate more, more power. And uh, we're also looking at things like uh, how to meet orbital debris requirements. Uh, the FCC says that your satellite must either be re-entered or in a disposal orbit uh, within 25 years of the end of your mission. So right now, as it is with the technology that AMSAT is uh, comfortable with, we couldn't launch to like an AO7 orbit uh, because that's like a thousand year orbit. Uh, it would take a long time for that to decay and as much as we'd like to think that our satellite might last that long electrically, it probably won't. So, uh, that's why you see a lot of the newer satellites going to, to lower orbits is to meet that orbital debris requirement. So we want to go higher with golf. So with golf T we'll test some of the technologies, uh, that we need to, to operate at those higher orbits and also to make sure that we can get out of those higher orbits uh, at the end of the mission. So 
I don't get in trouble with the FCC. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good, that's a good thing. Now, apparently, I I guess I I need to to apologize because uh, a couple of things on Twitter just just came up. Ke8fzt says that uh, it was the first time he he heard himself on AO92 by himself. And Robert KE4AL says that's because everyone was listening to Drew Glassbrenner on Ham Talk Live. So, <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to work AO92, now now's your chance. Uh, Eric Buttinger in uh, two KOJ wrote in and, and says, "What's the easiest satellite to work with a simple handheld?" And uh, can you suggest a good guide or primer to teach a youngster like my young daughters how satellites work and how we can work them? So it's really easy to hear any of the Fox satellites with a handheld radio, Uh, even with uh, the stock antenna. Uh, If you pick a good high pass uh, with the stock antenna, open the squelch up where you hear the background noise before the pass, and be sure to move it around uh, during the pass so you can line your HD antenna up with the antenna on the satellite. It's easy to hear them. Uh, You can hear the Fox satellites, bits and pieces of them, uh, even in a mobile situation. Uh, I have them set up in the scan uh, in my truck, and and going down the road at, at, you know, 65 miles an hour, when one of them comes up, it'll stop on it a lot of times. Hearing it's the easy part with those satellites. Uh, You want to be able to hear it a large amount of the pass so that you're not, you know, uh, cutting in and out. And it's really busy. So having a good receive system is important. So as a demonstration, you can listen to it on a simple HT. The next step, uh, I would recommend uh, if you go to the AMSAT website, and go to the store. We have a book called Getting Started with the Amateur Satellites. And that is, I think it's like 180 pages. We update it every year right before Dayton. Uh, it's kept current. And it is an excellent primer on all things satellite. If you read that book, you will be a, you know, a, a ready to get on the air and make contacts. The next step would be to get a little bit better of an antenna than that uh, rubber docker quarter wave whip. Uh, and there's lots of plans uh, on our website and lots of other websites. Uh, if you go to amsat.org and click satellite info and then go down that menu column to station and operating hints, there's lots of uh, uh, antenna um, construction guides in there. Some of my favorites are the WA5BJB Chief Yagi and the IOIO antenna. Both of those are excellent antennas to pair with a handheld. Um, you can also buy something like an Aero antenna, a commercial dual band uh, antenna designed for handheld satellite use. Uh, you, those are available through the AMSAT store. There's another antenna that a lot of people use called the Elk. Uh, we'll have those at Dayton at the AMSAT booth. Uh, Elk's a, a big supporter of AMSAT. So there's lots of different ways you can get that antenna to give you a little bit of extra gain to make the contact. 
Uh, and then we provide a past prediction service on the website. You can go and see when the satellite is going to be overhead, get the frequencies out of the book or off the website, and and you're ready to go. Now, one thing, one, one quick. To, we're going to have to hurry, Drew. Okay. Uh, it, it's fine to try out uh, with whatever HT you've got. If it's a dual bander, uh, we uh, appreciate if people can work full duplex two HTs or one full duplex HT where they can hear themselves coming down. That keeps the log jams from happening. All right. Very good. Well, we are out of time. So uh, thanks, Drew, for coming on the show. And uh, thanks to everybody out there for listening. And next Thursday night at 9 p.m., we're going to start our Dayton Hamvention preview. And the first one is uh, Norm, WA4Z. XV, and he's going to talk about four days in May, sponsored by the QRP Amateur Radio Club International and their Buildathon. So tune in for that at hamtalklive.com. This is Neil Rapp, WB9VPG, saying 7375, and may the good DX be yours.